Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. Good evening. It's Monday, August 31st. I'm Evan Garris. And I'm Sasha Hindi. The top story, UNC System President Erskine Bowles has a tough message for university chancellors system-wide, according to WRAL. Bowles wrote in an email, hear me loud and clear. We will be looking for first absolute proof that you have focused on administrative reductions and solid evidence that you have taken steps to shore up your core academic services. The move comes after a 100-page report found that UNC Chapel Hill's administrative expenses have outpaced the growth of academic expenses. It's estimated that streamlining the administration could save $12 million a year. WRAL reports that 900 administrative positions could be cut from the, among the system's 16 schools. According to WNCT-TV in Greenville, an Onslow County couple may be charged with abuse. The couple's four-month-old child had the toes of its left foot chewed off by a pit bull. The couple was dog-sitting. For an owner who was arrested last night for possession of a firearm by a felon. The child has been taken to a hospital where doctors fear the baby may lose the entire left foot. How did this happen? The child's mother placed him on a couch while she slept and said she was unable to hear the child's cries, supposedly due to being on medication. The investigation continues surrounding the death of UNC student Cortland Smith. Since we brought this story to you last week, new details from WRAL reveal that the university's Department of Student Affairs may investigate the party that Smith attended to before being shot to death by police confrontation off of I-85 in Archdale. UNC Chancellor Holden Thorpe said it was obvious that there had been a party there with alcohol. I know that doesn't necessarily sound unusual, but in light of the tragedy, we feel that we needed to try and determine whether any university or fraternity policies were violated. Everything you know is about to get a little more expensive here in North Carolina. The AP reports that the state's sales tax will increase by 1% to 7.75% Tuesday. Excise taxes on tobacco, beer, wine, and liquor will also rise as a part of the state's budget balancing efforts. The move is expected to bring in an additional $1 billion for the state. Wildfires in California during the fall are to be expected, but a fire that is now burning north of Los Angeles isn't just making the news, it's getting in the way of it. KTLA is reporting that its transmitter on uh, on 5,700-foot Mount Wilson is in danger of being consumed by the fire. It isn't just KTLA, KTLA that's in danger. Almost every major television station and FM station in the nation's second largest media market has a tower on Mount Wilson, not to mention cell phone towers and certain law enforcement communications. These signals may soon be lost. Mount Wilson also houses multi-million dollar astronomical observatories for UCLA, USC, and UC Berkeley, where Edwin Hubble made observations that enabled the creation of the Big Bang Theory. The blaze called the Station Fire has killed two firefighters already and has trapped an unknown number of people in a previously evacuated area. 85,760 acres have been burned, according to KTLA, and the fire is only 5% contained. 10,000 homes are threatened as of right now. The BBC has reported that a museum in the Netherlands has suffered a major embarrassment. What the Amsterdam Museum has displayed proudly as a genuine Apollo 11 moon rock turned out to be a piece of petrified wood after lab tests. Worse still, it was given as a personal gift from the Apollo astronauts to former Dutch Prime Minister William Dries. U.S. officials have no explanation for the discovery. While NC State University may be notable for its milk, KSTP in Minneapolis is reporting that scientists at the University of Minnesota have developed a new variety of apple called Sweet Tango. Don't look for it on store shelves here, though. It will only be available through select Minnesota grocery stores, but the researchers claim that it's worth the wait.
In entertainment news, it was announced late this afternoon that Disney would be buying Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion, according to CNN. Marvel Entertainment is best known for creating the popular characters Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Incredible Hulk. The ideal would mean... The deal would mean additional resources and film rights for Disney, which is said to be ramping up its boy-friendly offerings. Today marks the 12th anniversary of the death of Lady Diana, Princess of Wales, and her companion, Dodi Al-Fayed, in Paris automobile accident. Tomorrow marks the 70th anniversary of Poland's invasion by Nazi Germany in 1939. Also on this day in 1886, a powerful earthquake rocked Charleston, South Carolina. It was felt as far away as Boston, Chicago, and Cuba. The weather tonight calls for continued cloudiness with on and off showers, mostly light in nature, with a low temperature around 61. It's more of the same for tomorrow, mostly cloudy skies and the occasional shower. Highs tomorrow will be around 76 with a rather breezy northeasterly wind. The sunshine returns for Wednesday, heating us up to 80. Welcome back to another episode of WKNC's public affairs program, Eye on the Triangle. This week's show will feature interviews with... Representatives from the Hillsborough Street Renovations Project in Hear This. Kelly Reed and Rachel Sloan will let you in on an interview with school kids, records, employee, and music from Old Bricks. In Community Canvas, Mike Austin interviews artists of the Hear Here compilation CD cover. The Student of the Week profile will feature a young artist, and then we'll wrap up the show with sound bites from Caitlin Colley featuring what NC State students think of Twitter. And now on to the IP. The Triangle's VIP. Talking to people that matter. Hi, I'm Adam Compton, and you're listening to Eye on the Triangle. This is the VIP section. Today I'm with Nina Schwasberg, who's with the Hillsborough Street Partnership. What do you do for the Hillsborough Street Partnership? Well, the Hillsborough Street Partnership was formed about 10 years ago. It was really just a bunch of us meeting in a banquet hall in a local church who let us have the room. It ended up being a community vision to recreate a new Hillsborough Street, and the Hillsborough Street Partnership was the entity that was formed to help kind of move it along. So I guess I'm a founder and a board member of the Hillsborough Street Partnership. Since that time, a second entity has been formed, the Hillsborough Street Community Service Corporation, all the students see that there's a lot of stuff going on in Hillsborough Street, and it seems like every day they're tearing up a different part of the street. What's actually going on? What are they doing? You know, for students and for faculty and other folks who are interested in the university, it's a really, while it's a kind of a pain because you've got all that construction, you got to keep your eye on the prize. When, when we were going through this visioning process, a lot of students who were involved in the design, and there have been a lot of students over 10 years involved in the design of this project, would say, we just want Hillsborough Street to be as nice as Franklin Street at UNC. <laughs> and I would say, no, you don't. You want it to be better than UNC. And so a little competition there. What's happening on Hillsborough Street is a complete reconstruction of the street. So a lot of the work you're seeing now in the fall of this year is about all the underground stuff. And that's replacing plumbing that was 100 years old. When they're digging it up, they're finding old trolley lines that ran through those neighborhoods 100 years ago. And all kinds of cable and, you know, telephone lines, those kinds of things. What will happen is they'll put a conduit under there so that everything will flow very cleanly. It'll all be new. 
and everybody, if everything will be mapped. And for all of you engineering kinds of folks out there, you understand the beauty of that. Now, what's going to happen on top? Hillsborough Street will be transformed from what you have known in the past to a two-lane street with a center median that's brick and landscaped. Street trees, wide sidewalks, outdoor eating. We're going to drop a Wi-Fi net over the whole area so you'll be wireless anywhere you go on Hillsborough Street. There'll be bike lanes. There'll be much more pedestrian, you know, where you can walk across the street and feel safe. And then there are these two signature roundabouts. So right at the bell tower, there'll be a roundabout that will be kind of a, an iconic feature of the street and an entrance into the university. And then uh, Oberlin Road, there'll be another little roundabout there that'll help redirect traffic so that as you're coming from Cameron Village into campus, you no longer will have to do that little dog leg where the PR and red hot, uh, red hot and blue is. Instead, you'll have kind of a straight shot into campus. So it's going to be so beautiful and so inviting. I I just think for the university, it's going to be a huge difference in terms of people's perception of NC State. Where's all the traffic going to go that normally comes down Hillsborough Street? Are they going to be redirected to other streets once it's a two-lane, or are people still going to use that street as the main kind of thoroughfare to downtown? We've done just oodles and oodles of traffic studies. And, of course, traffic studies are just that. They try to predict people's behavior, but who knows? We don't know what's going to happen. But what we do know is that Hillsborough Street is a historic street. It's like the main street, not just of Raleigh. It's the main street of North Carolina. It goes from the state capitol past one of the most important institutions of our state, which is NC State University, all the way to the fairgrounds. And so it's not worthy of just being, you know, kind of like a speed lane to get through it. Our sort of talking point on this is we don't want Hillsborough Street to be a place where people go through. We want Hillsborough Street to be a place where people come to. So where will traffic go? We have two east-west streets that have a lot of capacity. Western Boulevard was just redone, as you know, not that long ago, and it's a workhorse of a street. It, it can carry uh, 88,000 cars a day, and it's, uh, it's really underperforming. So there's a lot of capacity there. And then you've got Wade Avenue, which is running, you know, pretty close to capacity. And the street is being designed to carry about 25,000 cars a day, which is what it carried before. So it's just that instead of people going, like, gunning it, you know how you used to, on Hillsborough Street, you get to a stoplight, and then as soon as it would turn green, you'd gun it to try to get through the next stoplight? What this is going to be is a much more even flow. You might be traveling, feel like you're traveling slower, but on average, and this is kind of start getting into this technical world, on average from start to finish, you'll, your speed will remain about the same. It's just that you won't be going flying, stopping, flying, stopping. You'll just be going more gradually through. So does that mean they're going to do away with all the stoplights on Hillsborough Street? No, and that was that's kind of a little point of contention because... Like anything in life, there's a whole bunch of compromise. And, you know, you get the engineers in there, and then you get some citizen advocates who, you know, wanted signalized crosswalks. And there are all kinds of, you know, people and issues that have to be considered. The original plan got rid of all the stoplights, but they had like seven roundabouts. The new plan is much more streamlined than that. So you'll have a combination of these stoplights and these roundabouts, but there won't be as many stoplights. You'll have these pedestrian refuge islands, so when you cross mid-block, 
you'll have a place to rest instead of being stuck right in the middle of four lanes of traffic, you know. And I think the biggest takeaway is that it's just the whole area is going to redevelop. There'll be a lot more to do. It'll be a lot more inviting. In terms of public safety, how will that improve? I know we've had several students that have come close to getting hit or have gotten hit out there. And how is that going to improve on the overall? One of the other hats that I wear is I serve on the North Carolina Department of Transportation Board. I live in this whole world of transportation. And the sad statistic is that Hillsborough Street is the most dangerous street in the state of North Carolina for pedestrians. It has an accident rate four times the state average. And that's because people, a lot of people walk. You know, in, in the old Hillsborough Street, it really wasn't that conducive to walking. In the new Hillsborough Street, all of the studies that we've done have indicated a sharp reduction in the number of pedestrian crashes, the number of vehicular crashes, because it's going to reduce the number of left-hand turns, which is where a lot of these accidents happen. How's parking going to work on the new street? Another great question. Parking, 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 parking. So everybody, you know, all the merchants are just, you know, want so badly to have more parking opportunities. We'll have an additional 177 spaces available on Hillsborough Street as part of the reconstruction because in the new Hillsborough Street, you'll park on both sides of the street. You know, now it's, they, they just allow it after, I think, 7 o'clock at night and then during the weekend. But in the new Hillsborough Street, you'll be parking on both sides of the street. There are all kinds of conversations underway about some, in the finance world, it's called a public-private partnership, but some opportunities perhaps for there to be some collaboration between government and private entities to do some parking garages that will be, and this is new urbanism language, wrapped with retail, which means that what will be seen from the street are all these, you know, you'll have cool little you know, restaurants or boutiques or something. But on the inside of it, there'll be a parking garage. Those are kind of the long-term plans for Hillsborough Street. Do you think once the street's done that more people will come out to the businesses and everything? Oh, yeah. Part of our job is to have an, a strategy, an economic development strategy for the street so that, you know, when you put down, it's a $10 million project. And when you put down that kind of public money, the goal is to have private investments that are supported by that. So, you know, in the economic development world, in the business world, all you business majors out there know this from, from your work, but, it, you know, you get a multiplier effect. So we'll get three to one, sometimes five to one for that investment. So for every million dollars you put on the ground in public money, you might get $10 million in private investment. And we're already getting a lot of interest of people interested in those buildings and how that might get redeveloped. So do you think we'll also see a facelift in terms of the restaurants and businesses that are on Hillsborough Street? I do. You know, for a lot of them have been cool on their heels because the truth of it is until we did the project, there wasn't a lot of reason for them to put a lot of money into the, the front, the facades and investing in those buildings. But now, now that we've pulled the trigger and the project's happening, now people are, they know it's real. It's going to be there. And so they're much more confident about making the investment. Now, we're doing this at a time when, you know, the economy's in pretty bad shape. So it might happen a little more slowly than it would have in times past, but it'll happen. How is everything being paid for? It's all being paid for by the city of Raleigh. And that's the work that has gone on over the past 10 years. I mean, there was a community visioning and it's been moving along. And finally, under the leadership of Mayor Meeker, everybody who sees Mayor Meeker, please give him a big thank you. And our city council say thank you because it took their votes to get that money to put it on Hillsborough Street when a whole bunch of other people were competing for it. So the city has the money. And then we've created what's called a BID, a business improvement district. 
And what that means is that they, you, if you sort of just drop a net over the area around Hillsborough Street, those businesses have willingly decided to tax themselves to pay a little bit more money that will go into a fund, and that fund will then go back out on the street for services. So it'll be landscaping. We're going to do what's called clean and safe. So you'll have ambassadors on the street, security people on the street, amenities, marketing like concerts and, you know, book readings and all kinds of cool stuff like that, that the the BID, and in this case, it's the Hillsborough Street Community Service Corporation, will be doing. There are two pots of money, the capital improvement for the street, and then this ongoing commitment to fund making all of those positive improvements on the street. If people want to log on for more information, is there somewhere students or all of our listeners out there can go for more information? Yes. Okay, so we've got a few resources. One, we've got Twitter, and Twitter is really a place where you will get construction updates. So, you know, you so there's a water main break, you know, you'll know about it or if they're rerouting traffic. So that's Hillsborough ST, so Hillsborough Street, the abbreviation of street on Twitter. And then... We've got an online presence. It's www.hillsboroughstreet.org, and we're really looking to revamp that website. And then if you've got some inquiries about, you know, the construction, you can call the city of Raleigh, which is 919-996-3030. So those are a few sources to get in touch. And if you want to email me, you can. And that's NAPRO, N-A-P-R-O, and the number one at earthlink.net. All right. Thank you very much. Do you have anything final that you'd like to leave all our listeners out there with? I would just say this is going to be something that you guys are going to be so proud of, not just as students, but as alum of this university. You'll want to come back and celebrate on Hillsborough Street. So it's a little bit of pain in the short run, but in the long run, it's really going to be worth it. Absolutely. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing project. Again, you're listening to Eye on the Triangle. This is VIP with Adam Compton. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Thanks for tuning in to WKNC's Eye on the Triangle. In our VIP segment, we have with us here business owner Kevin Jennings, who will talk about the Hillsborough Street renovations and how the construction has impacted his business. Jennings is the owner of Urban Food Group and on Hillsborough Street, Frazier's and Porter City Tavern. So going off our topic today, how have the Hillsborough Street renovations and construction impacted your business? Well, I'm probably about the same as most others, I would assume, which is you know down seriously in sales. Were you part of the discussions for the renovations originally, or absolutely? Okay, and what was your involvement with that? Well, I think the first meeting was held at Frazier's, you know, nine years ago, almost ten years ago, something like that, and that was the sort of the, the beginning of that whole process. It was a luncheon where we got a bunch of city leaders and came down. And so really I've been involved from, from that point forward. So uh, overall design, input on, you know, loading zones and plantings and, you know, start to finish. What would you say is the most important part of the renovation? Well, I would say, I, I guess probably the, it sounds odd, but really the beautification of the area. I, mean, I think it's sort of twofold. One, one is the, the safety issues that had to be addressed and have been addressed and will be, I doubt very seriously there will be a, you know, a real serious vehicular or, uh, you know, pedestrian accident on the Hillsborough Street section that's renovated, you know, after it's completed. So that's really the most important. The beautification of it, secondarily, you know, it's just time for that area to, to, to be re revitalized. So. How do you think the renovations will impact your business once they're completed? 
Well, I believe that Hillsborough Street will no longer be a barrier to the access of NC State, you know, as a, as a piece of property and, the, and the, the people that are on campus accessing the other side of Hillsborough Street will no longer be a barrier. It'll actually, I think that, you know, I, as I just drove through here, you know, you have Dan Allen is, is heavily crossed and obviously it's in, in the middle of campus, but I really believe that Hillsborough Street will be very similar to that. You talked a little bit about how the construction has impacted your business. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Have you seen, you know, a decline in customers or anything like that? Or has it been pretty steady? Yes. uh, No, it's absolutely a decline. You know, there was the uh, economy and going into the recession certainly was an impact that we began feeling in October of last year. And, you know, sort of, I would say that somewhat as we're coming out of that, we were expecting an increase in sales. But once the barrels went up and once construction started and the word got out, you know, in in the sort of our immediate neighborhood about construction going on, then, you know, it just immediately dropped off. So we're down somewhere, I would say, at least between 30 and 40 percent. Do you think that overall the Hillsborough Street renovations will make up for that eventually? Or is that something that you're just kind of waiting to end? I believe that the new Hillsborough Street is, is going to be a much busier place. So I do believe that the income being lost now will be recouped later on. It's just, it really depends on how much we have to pay the restaurants to keep them open. <laughs> you know, how much, it's an unknown figure. We don't know. So, uh, you know, it's drastically down now. We're losing money much the same as many of the others are. Fortunately for us, we do have other operations. And, you know, I just really feel for the people that are there that that's their sole income. And, you know, they're down 30, 40 percent. I mean, you, you reach a point where you start to have to pay to keep your space. And I think that that will be something that pays off later on. But getting to the other side is quite difficult. Right. Would you say that a lot of your customer base is students or more so, you know, faculty and staff? Well, I would say at, you know, Frazier's is sort of a, a regional draw, mainly a lot of faculty and staff and grad students. And at Porter's during the lunch hour, we get a good mix. We have a, it's a, definitely a heavy uh, faculty and staff place. But that's one thing that we're really actually looking forward to is the, the reconnection of the students the undergrad population to Hillsborough Street, you know, it used to be the place to hang out. And there's lots of other places that have opened, lots of other things going on. And we think that that's great. But, you know, NC State and Hillsborough Street were once one. And and that's sort of the the heart there at the, the, you know, at that intersection there of Horn and Hillsborough Street. And we're, I think that the business community is very, very much aware of the fact that the students, you know, have really found other places to go and that we blame ourselves for that. if we're not, we should be. So we want to see everyone sort of, you know, the, the neighborhood. So NC State, the immediate residents behind and the business community find its core again, which is Hillsborough. So what do you plan to do as a business owner to attract the students again? Well, one thing is I believe that Frazier's were going to reconcept that restaurant. Uh, there's a, a, a poll nationally that just came out this last weekend that talked about the effects of the recession and how about 30% of people are going to more inexpensive restaurants. And this has, you know, this is not just the student population, obviously, but it's the population as a whole. And 30% are actually just not going to restaurants. So that 30% will come back. I don't, I think that it will be a, a cautious comeback. And I think that the going to more inexpensive restaurants is a trend that's been going on for quite some time and will continue. So I, we're going to reconcept Frazier's and have it be something that's going to be still of the highest quality. It's known as one of the top restaurants in the triangle, 
but at the same time, it needs to be more accessible. And that's so we're going to add some options there. And then secondly is Porters. We're working on a rooftop dining area for that area. And that's that old office space that's been upstairs and it's been empty for several years. A lot of the NC State offices that used to be on Hillsborough Street have moved to campus locations, which makes sense. But it's very difficult to lease that as office space. So we would love to be able to sort of coincide with the renovation of Hillsborough Street and the renovation of our spaces also and come out. And I, you've already seen recently Melvin's doing renovations, two guys doing renovations. And, you know, I think that there's there's probably some businesses that will go out and new money will come in. And, and so I think that the student population, I think that the, the local residents are going to be really, really pleased with it. You said you were, you mentioned that you were involved in the process from the very beginning. What are you doing now? Well, now I am, aside from just running the restaurants, I'm the president of, of the steering group nonprofit that will be using the bid funds, the newly formed bid, a business improvement district. We will be taking those funds, which are taken from, or I guess raised through taxes on the businesses. We sort of voted to, to place a tax on ourselves, basically. And then that money will be put back into our immediate community. So street cleanliness clean and safe programs, making certain that the money that the city is putting in to the street through landscaping and lighting and things like that are actually up, kept and taken care of. So that's that's mainly what we're doing now. We're looking at what people would like to see done on Hillsborough Street as far as just a, a long-term sort of maintenance program and and then beginning to take bids for that work and, and, and write contracts and figure out exactly how much money is going to be in. So we're creating a budget and that kind of thing. So since we're still in the beginning phases of the renovation project, do you think that as it gets further into it, the construction will be a little better and you'll have more at least traffic from pedestrians? I think it's actually going to get far worse. <laughs> The real dirty work is the uh, sidewalks. And now, you know, they're, they're taking up, what, a, a lane or a lane and a half of traffic, and they're burying the power lines, and they're doing all this stuff, and they have all this big equipment up there. That That's fine, but it really allows traffic to, to flow pretty freely. When you start doing the sidewalks and tearing that stuff up, that's where business access is, is goes to virtually zero. So it's not going to be all on one, you know, it'd be all on one block at a time. It won't be, uh, it won't be six blocks that are completely closed, but it's, that's, those are going to be uh, difficult days. Are you worried any of the businesses won't be able to get through it? Or is this something that's temporary until the renovation project is over? Well, I think once it gets over with, I think that the businesses will be fine. I think that during between now and then, it's very likely that you'll see some some businesses go dark. And whether or not they they actually exchange hands or whether the landlord takes it back or, you know, whatever happens, that's that's very, very likely. And I would I would say that uh, it's not a possibility that it will happen. I'll say it's actually quite likely. And I don't think that people should be surprised when they when they see places that are that are done. You mentioned Hillsborough Street used to be very student friendly and students used to go there a lot more. Do you think that this renovation project will bring it to the way it was before? I do. Okay. I do. And I think that 
the other thing is that it, it's it's not going to just be some some uh, you know wave a magic wand thing. There are many many plans that are going on in the background for you know really making Hillsborough Street a you know an NC State affiliated and and sort of grounded area. And that is everything from you know having the NC State Agriculture Department that raises vegetables, having them specifically do a farmers market on the street, and basically being able to close half of the street. That's the beautiful part about the renovation is that it's going to make the street much more flexible. So we could potentially close the you know parking lane and one lane of traffic, still allowing traffic to get through on the other side, but actually being able to have like tents in the street and, and closing portions of it off. So there are, you know, the there are many student organizations who are very active currently with, you know, planning events and 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 looking towards the future once the street's completed. Which so everything from big rallies, you know, pre-football game rallies out on Hillsborough Street and having it be closed or a portion of it being closed. So anyway, there's yeah, we don't think that it's just going to be automatic, but I do believe that over time we'll be able to redirect the focus back to Hillsborough Street. And I think that there's the, the two important groups are the undergrad population and the alumni, getting both of them to be willing to come back to the street. Well, I think that's all I have, unless you have anything else to add. I don't. Just, you know, if you can, if you can brave the, the unsightly construction going on, then come over and patronize the businesses. And that was Kevin Jennings on Eye on the Triangle's VIP segment. And dealing more with Hillsborough Street, my name's Kelly Reed, and earlier this week, Rachel Sloan sat down with an employee from School Kids Records to talk about the construction on Hillsborough Street affecting the record store. And then I give you a review from Old Bricks, who have a show tonight at Slim's with local music group Sea Legs and Asheville music group Motor Skills. And here it is. Hear this on Eye on the Triangle. Your local music news. For School Kids Records, the last independently owned and operated record store in Raleigh, a five-block move eastward on Hillsborough Street was likely the answer to declining sales until the university section of Hillsborough Street underwent construction. WKNC Assistant Local Music Director Rachel Sloan sat down earlier this week with School Kids employee Eric Deschutti to talk about moving music. With me today, I have Eric Deschutti, employee of School Kids Records, the last standing independently owned record store in Raleigh. School Kids recently moved locations and transplanted next to Sadlux and Buddha's Belly. How has this change affected the business? Uh, it's definitely helped us out a lot. Um, as soon as we moved down there, we saw a big increase in our sales, and I think just being next to Buddha's Belly and Sadlax, uh just attracted a different kind of clientele, and it definitely really helped our business. Not so much in recent months, but... I think overall the move has definitely helped us out. Yeah, let's talk about recent months. During the summer, we started construction on Hillsborough Street. How has that affected school kids' business? Well, it, it definitely hasn't helped. As soon as the barrels went up, we saw just a sudden decrease in our sales. We actually have seen about 50% total decrease since the construction has started. And I think not only does it decrease parking and traffic flow, I think people are just avoiding Hillsborough Street because they know how big of a mess it is. So... We're, I mean, we're struggling right now, and uh, kind of hard to see when it's going to get better. Not only has construction hurt business at school kids, but the decline in 
going to your local stores and buying CDs and the uprising and being able to download on the internet. How have you guys seen this change at School Kids? Well, that's definitely something we've been dealing with over the last five years or so. I think that think that the uh, the record industry is just adapting. We've seen about a 150% increase in our sale of vinyl. I think this is also being helped by record companies are now pressing every new record to vinyl, and a lot of them are including a free digital download with the record that you buy. So I think for the people that do still want to buy music, there's definitely a move to owning things on vinyl, and then you also get the download with it so you can put it with your iPod. And on top of that, we've also just recently created an online store at uh, schoolkids.thinkindie.com, and it's kind of like an alternative iTunes, but with more of a focus on indie music and independent artists. What local musicians are you seeing fly off the shelves along with independent musicians? That is a good thing about our store. We have a pretty good local fan base that really uh, helps support local artists. The uh, new albums from Megaphone and Lonnie Walker have both been selling really well for us, as long as the new uh, Gray Young. Actually, the Cooley High mixtape has actually been selling pretty well for us, too. And as far as independent artists, the new Arctic Monkeys is selling really well. A new album from Discovery has sold pretty well for us. To check out School Kids online, a local alternative to iTunes, you can visit schoolkids.thinkindie, that's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-D-I-E dot com. However, for something new and fresh and not yet available for purchase, we turn to a duo who is quietly emerging into the triangle music scene. Stuart Edwards and Andrew Holmes are old bricks. They're not new to the airwaves on WKNC. In January of this year, the duo played the Animal Collective Listening Party hosted by WKNC, and since then, their EP has been played on the local lunch and the local beat. More recently, though, the duo has been making headway, and now their full-length recording entitled Farmers is complete. The 12-track composition is somewhat reminiscent of Bonavera Megaphone, but with a younger interpretation of the world. The album takes the listener through songs of self-realization, birth, falsities, and perseverance. Their ability to capture the beauty of youth is apparent in this clip from the track Method Part 2. For more news about the music scene here in the Triangle of North Carolina, you can visit us online at wknc.org. Wknc.org, that's right. And up next, we have an interview. Mike Alston sat down with local visual artist Ryan Cummings to talk about what it's like to be a professional artist and uh, how it gets him through the day. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. All right, so I'm joined today by Ryan Cummings, uh, an artist who owns the company Ryan Cummings Decorative. Mm-hmm. And how are you doing? Doing good, doing good, thanks. Cool. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we want to focus on here is is how local art exists and in what forms. We talked about the art museum last week, the National Museum of Art over at Duke, but we didn't focus on actually an artist. So I figured I would bring you in, especially since you have a connection to WKNC now, what with doing the art for the Hear Hear compilation. Yeah. And and thank you for that, by the way. It's great. Yeah, sure thing. My so, pleasure. 
Yeah, and so just, you know, if you will, give us an overview of sort of where you come from. I know you're an NC State grad. Oh, yeah, I graduated from the School of Design at State in 91, and then I just started uh, doing the starving artist thing, making a living barely, right. doing wall finishes and stuff like that. I got into a job over in Cary with a company, and shortly after that, I moved down to Florida, West Palm Beach. A friend of mine moved down there, and uh, I saw all the growth and development that was going on, so I thought there was a good opportunity to do a lot of work and learn a lot. So I went down there for about six years. And is, and is this stuff that you actually learned how to do at NC State or is it stuff that you picked up in trade? Or I what? picked that up on the job actually. Okay. Yeah, at State it was more of graphic design background. That's what my gr degree was actually in. Uh -huh. And this might just be, you know, since graphic design was your focus at State, but would you say that the preparation that you had in school, in the design mm -hmm. school, was more geared towards fitting in at a company that needs a, needs a service or was it, geared towards your like individual creativity or yeah there's definitely a lot of that going on uh they definitely wanted to make sure you're ready for the job market right <laughs> so at what point did you sort of realize that you wanted to do things on your terms as an artist rather than on your boss's terms per se uh probably when I was about five years old <laughs> okay yeah cool. so so you so you figured nc state would be a pretty good avenue yeah this beginning I, I just started looking into colleges when i was in high school and i looked into nc state i got some literature in the mail and everything I came from a really, really small town outside of Greensboro, mm -hmm. uh, Summerfield. Summerfield. Yeah, you, you've never heard of it. Believe nope, me. absolutely. Uh, it, it, so, I mean, when I started learning about State and all the, uh, the design school, the opportunities that were there, mm -hmm. the things that they were teaching, it sounded really very, very interesting to me uh -huh. at the time. It was so, a good jumping off point in yeah. your career. Yeah, more than just art. I wasn't necessarily, I was always an artist, I guess. I was always drawing, always painting. The design school seemed to offer something a little bit more of a broad spectrum than just your basic art school. Mm -hmm. So you said you moved back from Florida mm -hmm. around what time? Uh, three years ago. Okay. Uh, so that's very recent. And at that point, you had been working in Florida and you had sort of been equipped with all these new talents and abilities, like mm -hmm. you're saying, yeah. wall finishes and sort of things. Uh, how, do, how do you market yourself as an artist today? Or how do you get the word out that, hey, I'm here I can make your business, Flying Biscuit, for example, look really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you go to designers, decorators, architects, that's usually a good avenue. People like that usually incorporate art into what they do. If you have a, you know, if you have a good website and you're out there, people can mm -hmm. find you on their own as well. Right. But usually it's the designers, the decorators. So let's make sure I'm not leaving anything off here. What, where can people, where have people probably seen your art in Raleigh that they may or may not have known was yours? Uh, I've been in... Shows at the Visual Arts Exchange. Um, I got a couple of paintings up now at Art Space. I'm a member of the Artists Association mm -hmm. down there now. Mm -hmm. um, besides the Flying Biscuit, uh, the Bar Foundation. That's right. Yeah. Uh, down there, I got a couple of paintings. I'm rotating in and out from time to time. I got about 20 paintings just kind of laying around right now. Mm -hmm. And so I pretty much rotate them in and out of there. So, so with the case like the Flying Biscuit, was that, was that the client saying, we want something unique, or was that... Then the architect saying, mm -hmm. we want to give you something unique and we know just the thing. Yeah, that was actually the client. Yeah, okay, they, cool. they, they found my website somehow. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I talked to them for like five minutes and the mm -hmm. decorator. And that was it. They just, yeah, go ahead and do it. That must Fine. have been pretty exciting to get to be commissioned for the, the walls and the ceiling and the air duct and everything. Yeah, that was a good opportunity. That was a good job. Uh -huh. It took, well, it didn't take that long. And everyone sees it so it's right. a very good venue yeah cool uh when let's say like a residential client comes in i know you've done a couple houses you've mm -hmm. done finishes and walls and whatnot uh how much direction do you get as the artist is it hey we've heard you're good do something or is it like we want this specifically 
Yeah, sometimes it's that specific. Sometimes uh-huh. they know exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, on the other hand, they they want to see what you can do. They want to see if you've been doing it for a while. Right. You probably have a good number of you know finishes that you've done, samples, photographs, things like that. You can show them mm-hmm. a lot of resource material. Right. They definitely want as much input as possible, or at least the good clients do. Right. If uh, you get a client that says, basically, I don't care, do whatever you want, you might be in trouble. <laughs> right. Yeah, that right. might be the beginning <laughs> of the end right there. Exactly. So you might want to start looking for the door. But, uh, yeah, it, it, I think the, the, well, the best clients that I've had are the ones that are actually the most picky. The ones right. who really they know what they want. Yeah, they know what they want, and they actually have been around a little bit, and they've seen some things. They've been out of the country. They've been around. They know what a good mural is. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you draw your inspiration from in terms of, like, well, I've seen this done before, or I know that this is a good palette, or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah, I'm kind of weird like that. I, I get it from everywhere. Uh-huh. I, I can be walking down the street and just see something, and that's right. it. Uh, so when I was down in Florida, there were a lot of, for some reason down there in the tropic zone, the, the clouds were different. The sun mm-hmm. was different. The light was different. I uh, took my camera all the time and uh, scared the hell out of a few people because I would be taking a picture <laughs> while I was driving right. down 95 of the sun oh, or the great. sky at you know, 7 great. o'clock in the morning. The job Someone, never stops, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you never know when you're going to see something. And a couple of the best paintings I ever had, I just happened to have my camera with me. And I took a few photographs mm-hmm. and made a couple of sketches just pulling off on the side of the road. Um, so let's talk also a little bit about the Here Here compilation. Um, we basically got together and decided we're going to need some art for this album. Uh, and honestly, that was about it. We said, mm-hmm. what would be cool? Well, something that, we, something that will represent what we're doing. The, the triangle area, basically. Um, and I guess that was probably the statement that you heard when you ran with uh, what you did. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, Sarah at the Visual Arts Exchange told me about it, and she got in touch with me, and the painting is already made, uh-huh. already done. I'd started doing a lot of landscapes around town, mm-hmm. doing you know, some pretty well-recognizable or popular places right. around town. So to anyone who's an aspiring artist out there, can you be a full-time artist in the triangle area today? Yeah, yeah, you can. It's just extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot of work, and the broader skill set you have, the better. If you basically put in the work beforehand, get your feet up under you, you can make a go of it. Cool. It's just, yeah, it's extremely challenging. Yeah. And, and what's the most memorable or your favorite piece that you've done, uh, be it painting or plaster or anything? Uh, the, my favorite painting that I've done is probably one that I was referring to, actually. It was called A Gathering in the Hills. Uh-huh. I think it may be the one you're referring to. That's on okay. the album, I think. Right. It's uh, It was based on a little plot of land over by my folks' place up in Riesel, up in mm-hmm. the hills. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of trees, the hills, a lot right. of photographs of people from 1890 to 1940. Yep. Uh, so for more information, com. Yeah, that's it. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we look forward to uh, to seeing your work on the walls of future restaurants, hopefully. so. Yeah. Me too. And now we take it from professional artists to artists still in school with the profile that features Logan Sales of the Design School. Student of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. Talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. I'm Logan Sales, and I'm a third-year student in the graphic design program at the College of Design. I'm in my fifth year of college. While I'm studying graphic design, 
and I'm also one of the co-presidents of the design council. I'm in the College of Design because it's the only thing that seemed logical for me to do, really. It took me a couple tries. <laughs> Out of high school, I tried to get into industrial design and <laughs> didn't exactly get accepted. So I did a couple of years just in first-year college and in arts applications until I actually could get in. The College of Design is a lot different than probably any of the other colleges within the university. And I guess a lot of people don't really know what goes on behind those doors. But if you go around that part of campus any time of day or any time of night, there are people up and about doing things. But I guess I could just walk you through a day in the life of a graphic design major. Basically, <laughs> I procrastinate a lot, so it kind of starts with me waking up and freaking out and going and getting a bunch of coffee and running into studio and finishing up whatever project I have. In graphic design, everything is on a computer, so I'm constantly sitting in the glow of my MacBook Pro. I guess just all day is spent in a studio. Unlike a lot of the other majors, we'll go from classroom to classroom. To, we have our own studio, so our teachers come to us. So I kind of have a nice desk with with all kinds of <laughs> ephemera and I have toy dinosaurs and Legos and more art supplies than you could shake a stick at and kind of sit there throughout the day and, and do my different classes. In graphic design, I take typography which is like the study of type, kind of letters I guess. Imaging, which is the other big part of graphic design, you know creating images and stuff like that and then studio is a mix between the two and it's more or less graphic design in its element. You spend a lot of time in studio with your professors getting feedback but then <laughs> we spend a lot of time there at night. We we don't really have tests, we have critiques because we're constantly working on, you know, a project. Maybe every semester we'd have like four projects or so. And so at the end of that, you have a big critique. And usually you'll pin up your work. And in my class, for instance, there's about 30 people among two sections, but we'll put our work up. And one by one, the professor will go through each of our work and we all kind of talk about it. Basically, the nightmare crit, you don't get to speak for your work. Your work speaks for itself, which is how it should be. But you kind of sit there quietly while your classmates and professor tear your work apart and tell you either how much it sucks or how awesome it is or you get a lot of feedback and kind of the cool thing with design is a project's never done so even though you may not get the grade you wanted or it may not be exactly what you thought it would be usually even afterwards go back and repair it and do the necessary stuff to kind of get the final result that we wanted all of my projects were linked together you know everything kind of works as a system that's how they kind of like things to work that's how stuff is in the real world but last semester I decided that I was going to research cool and I think the word cool is something that I say probably a million times a day and probably most people say all the time too but you never really stop to think where it comes from. Well, the word cool <laughs> from my research I found dates back to 14th century West Africa. The Igbo people of what is now modern day Nigeria and was one of the three pillars of their religion. Cool translates to itutu which literally means mystic coolness <laughs> and it was kind of like kind of a real good strength to have. You want to be cool like you think of water and its physical characteristics it's naturally cool flows smoothly and basically to be cool meant to stay strong and kind of act like you know act like you weren't really phased by difficult times and this came over the united states with diaspora and through the jazz movement kind of infiltrated mainstream american society i never thought that it was a part of an african religion dating back hundreds of years but i think it's kind of neat the stuff that you just find out because you kind of have to research some really obscure things one of my projects last semester, we all had to uh, pull pieces of paper out of a hat. 
and we were assigned different objects, and our entire semester's research and all of our projects had to be based on this object. So some kids got really cool ones. I know a guy in my studio got the iPod, and another guy got a bicycle, and I was so jealous of them because I pulled out a piece of paper that read dictionary. So all of my research was on the dictionary, and not just the history of the dictionary, but, you know, all of its implications and what effect it's had. So, I mean, I could tell you probably anything about the Oxford English Dictionary, but it's a random thing to know, but it, it forces you to really think outside the box and create some really neat artifacts. I'm the co-president of the Design Council, and basically what we do is we act as the voice box for the student body. Me and the other co-president, Dave Mackey, and we have some officers also. We, we meet with the faculty at the administrative council meetings and stuff like that. Our biggest project besides that is we throw the design school's infamous uh, Halloween bash every year, and even before I came to college, I remember hearing stories about this bash. So uh, we're hard at work planning this year's bash. Hopefully get a lot of good local music. I know uh, in the years past we've had bands like the Rosebuds and uh, Future Islands come play. So we're working on getting some good artists for this year, but it's always just huge and ridiculous. And there's always some weird design school theme. I know last year for the Masquerade of Disco Bloodbath, we made a giant spiky disco ball. It was probably about 10 or 15 feet in diameter suspended above the pit. And we actually also heard there was going to be rain and didn't have a rain plan so we made a last minute made a tarp just by ironing painters plastic together we made a tarp that was 40 by 100 feet long and spent about 50 hours not sleeping staying up to suspend this thing above the pit and project video on top of it and 10 minutes before the uh, fire marshal showed up made us cut it down but there's always just kind of over the top stuff like that there was never a doubt in my mind that i should be in the design school i mean that's why i applied three times <laughs> It just took a little bit longer, but no, I've, I've never regretted getting into the design school. There are definitely those nights where it's four in the morning and I'm pissed off because I have to design a typeface and it's just not working or the computer's having issues, all kinds of nerdy stuff like that. You know, there's all kinds of stress, but I just, I feed off it. I love it so much. I definitely never regret it. Sound bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around the NC State campus. And now for sound bites. Eye on the Triangles look at what the NC State community is really talking about. This week's topic is what do you think of Twitter and do you use it? We at Eye on the Triangle would like to note that in student media, Twitter is like second nature. It's what we do. But sometimes we forget what everyone else is doing. I'm going to preface this by saying I don't use Twitter. I think it's dumb. Watched the introduction video and I was thought, wow, this is, this is dumb. It's just telling people what you're doing all the time and people telling you what they're doing all the time and I have no desire to be part of that. Um, my name is uh, Joseph Briscar. I'm a film studies major. I don't have a Twitter and the only people I know that have Twitter basically just use it to complain about stuff, to tell people what they're doing every second during the day and it's ridiculous. And no one needs to know that much information about someone. My name is Stephanie and I'm majoring in food science. Actually, I don't use Twitter at all. I think it's kind of silly, and I don't really understand the whole concept, I guess. Um, Kenneth Koch, Mechanical Engineering. Do not use Twitter, personally. I didn't know about Twitter until at least several months to a year after its conception. As any internet utility, I guess, there's a use. I feel like more people use it just to kind of really short, annoying blog, almost, where people kind of just talk about things they're doing that may not be what the goal of communicating over the internet is about. My name is Kevin Durso. I'm a double major in fisheries and wildlife sciences and Spanish. I am using Twitter because um, I work for student media and we like to use Twitter because we like to stay connected. I think it'll be in a few years, it'll be a new um, Facebook. 
So Facebook will be outdated and Twitter will overtake that. I'm May F. Chung. I'm a sophomore in English education slash ESL. This has been Sound Bites on Eye on the Triangle. This is the episode Eye on the Triangle. It airs every Monday at 7 o'clock here at WKNC, 7 to 8 o'clock. My name is Kelly Reed. You have been joined by Seja Hindi, Adam Compton, Mike Alston, Rachel Sloan, and Caitlin Cauley. For more information on Eye on the Triangle, you can visit WKNC.org and look for a blog post. And don't forget that if you enjoyed the music clips you heard tonight during the show, it is from a band called Old Bricks, and they're playing tonight at Slim's alongside Sea Legs and Motor Skills. And then Old Bricks will be playing tomorrow night in Chapel Hill at Fuse. And we're going to close the show out with this clip from their not-yet-released full-length. The title of the song is Method Part 2. Thank you so much for listening.